You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Genesis chapter 21, we're obviously in a season where we're celebrating uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. We sang about that this morning. We celebrated it um, this morning together already. And as we come to our text this morning, um, we celebrate another birth that points to the birth that we celebrate today. As we come to uh, the birth of Isaac, a, a birth that we've been talking about for months now. Uh, Abraham and Sarah have this promise, uh, this promised child that they've been longing for. And it's been 25 years since they actually were first told by God that they could expect a child. Um, And so we see all those promises, all that longing, all that anticipation uh, culminate today in our text, which is found in Genesis chapter 21. And we're just going to look at the beginning of this chapter today. We'll look at the rest of it. Uh, in length in the coming weeks, but today, specifically looking at Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, let's read that. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You'll remember last week we looked at Abraham coming off of a a, uh, a mountaintop experience with God as he had interacted with God and appealed to him for the salvation of Sodom. And there was that, that dialogue and that interaction after he had hosted God um, and entertained the visitors. There's this interaction now that takes place where he appeals to God on behalf of Sodom and says, God, please spare them. Righteous with the, the wicked. And so there's this dialogue and it gets down to 10 righteous they can't find ten righteous, as we know the story unfolded in Sodom. Sodom, uh, the city perished. Lot and his daughters spared uh, from that. But then we see Abraham come off that mountaintop experience, and then he struggles with with old habits, old sins, what we called besetting sins. Last week, he reverts back to not trusting God for uh, the security and the salvation of he and his wife, um, and so we see that he resorts back to deception. And he ends up lying about who she is, and it brings about really a curse upon uh, Abimelech's people versus a blessing. We've talked about Abraham being a a blessing to other nations. He ends up being a curse, um, and Abimelech, uh, and his integrity is shown um, as he is uh, made aware of the situation by God. Um, And Abimelech works to rectify the situation, gives Abraham's wife back to him. Uh, We see God is the one that orchestrates the salvation of her. And so I shared with you some thoughts last week on besetting sins, that uh, there are some sins that as believers individually we continue to struggle with, that the Holy Spirit's working in us and he's convicting us. But until Jesus comes back, there's some sins that we will continue to struggle with. Um, The encouragement is that our salvation isn't uh, isn't based on our work. It's not based on our efforts. Um, we don't boast about the things we're, we're able to accomplish. It's by God's favor and his righteousness and his grace upon us that we're saved. Uh, but that as believers that want to glorify God, besetting sins can't, can't be tolerated in our life. We can't be content 
to continue to give in to these sins. And uh, so we saw last week that we're to be on guard against personal sins that we struggle with. We're to lay those things aside. Um, We're to see the patterns of our sins in our life and recognize that if we don't deal with them, that others are going to bear the consequences of them, as Abimelech's people uh, certainly did. The women in his in his city were not able to conceive children because of Abraham's sin. We also saw that if we're not careful, our children will learn the, the habits that we develop in our life. If we don't deal with those, we saw that uh, Isaac in the future um, also resorts to this tactic of protecting himself by lying about the identity of his wife. I mean, so I challenged you last week about... Uh, really being honest with yourself and trying to identify besetting sins in your life, um, letting others in your life that are close to you, accountability partner type people, letting them in on those besetting sins so they can help you fight those issues in your life, and then immediately confessing uh, those sins. And so that leads us into Genesis chapter 21, where finally, after much anticipation and much, much wait, Abraham and Sarah are blessed with their child. And I want to give you our summary sentence for today. I believe this story is obviously important to uh, the life of Abraham and and the, the building of his faith, but it also serves us here in the future. Our summary sentence for today, the miraculous birth of Isaac is meant to increase our faith in the miraculous birth of Christ which we are called to respond to with joyous praise and obedience. The miraculous birth of Isaac is meant to increase our faith in the miraculous birth of Christ, which we are called to respond to with joyous praise and obedience. So ultimately what we have is the miraculous birth of Christ. Um, We're reminded of that and we're pointed to that because of what happens with Isaac. What we see is God building our opportunity to have faith in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ through a miraculous birth in the Old Testament. And God, I think, is very intentional to do this with his people Israel. So God identifies the fact that that this is going to be a huge undertaking for people to believe that Um, that one has been born to a virgin, one who was incapable of having children. And and so God anticipates that. And what we see all through the Old Testament, really, all through the Old Testament, we see individuals who are incapable of having children that God works in and through and blesses them with kids. Some examples, um, miraculous births involving Sarah, which we see today, Uh, Rachel, who's unable to have children. The scripture talks about her being barren and incapable of having kids. Samson's mother, her, her womb has been closed. She's not able to have children, and God blesses her with Samson. Hannah, who cannot have kids, and years and years and years desiring to have kids, and prays and, and, and um, offers up a child, if God will so bless her with a child, offers up him for full service to God, and God blesses her with a child. Even Elizabeth, in her old age and incapable of having children, she too is given a child, John the Baptist. All of these births, foreshadow the greatest miraculous birth jesus christ if god can quicken a dead womb he can also quicken a virgin womb and that's what god is revealing to us all through scripture is that he he oversees the womb of wombs of women and he can he can certainly create life where there's incapability of having life and and he does that time and time again leading up to the greatest birth that he gives us jesus christ in uh, jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 
It says, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We've seen God uh, emphasizing that point over and over in the life of Abraham, that nothing's too hard for him, that nothing's impossible for him. And we see all that come to a head right here with the birth of Isaac, that, that all of these things have been spoken to Abraham, but Abraham finally now has verification that nothing is too hard. Nothing um, is uh, incapable of God being able to do it. And so uh, our summary sentence again, the miraculous birth of Isaac is meant to increase our faith in the miraculous birth of Christ, which we are called to respond to with joyous praise and obedience. That's our responsibility. We respond to this birth with joyous praise and obedience. We're going to see that both Abraham and Sarah do this, that there's praise surrounding uh, Isaac's birth, that they give uh, due credit to God for that blessing. But there's also acts of obedience that take place. Uh, the fact, the very fact that they name him Isaac was something that they were told to do in response to God's gift. The, the circumcision that Abraham uh, brings upon Isaac as well, an act of obedience. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 8 uh, says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We've talked about the fact that when Jesus Christ comes back, there'll be two different perspectives about his return, those that cower in fear, those that shrink back because there hasn't been a life of obedience, there hasn't been a, a response of love and joyous praise to Jesus' first coming. There will also be those like us who are, who are obviously overjoyed at the return of Jesus Christ, uh, that we've strived to live our life in obedience to him through the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so uh, Paul talks about the fact of that joyous return of Jesus, loving his appearing, what we'll see next week is that there was an individual in this story not covered in the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 21 who did not uh, rejoice over the coming of Isaac. Uh, we're going to see that Ishmael also laughs in this passage but has a different perspective when he laughs. He's obviously not thrilled at the appearing of um, Isaac. And so uh, we're going to see that next week. But again, the, the miraculous birth of Isaac points us in that direction, points us to uh, the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. All right. Um, first in your notes here, lessons from the birth of Isaac. Lessons from the birth of Isaac. All right. So it's a short text today. Um, Isaac comes on the scene. There's obviously rejoicing and excitement by Abraham and Sarah. Um, there's some lessons that we can learn from this short text, though. Things that are communicated to us in the text. First of all, God is always faithful to his word and promises. God is always faithful to his word and promises. What we find here in the text is that there's a great emphasis placed on the fulfilled promise through the pregnancy here. Go back to the text with me. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. As you read that text, there's, there's no doubt, no question that what's transpiring in this text is all coming about because of God's promises, because of what God said he was going to do. He's visiting Sarah as he said he would. You remember during the visitation time when, um, when, the, two, when the three visitors came that, that he said, in a year from now, Sarah's going to give birth and there's going to be a visitation by God upon her. 
that takes place here according to God's word. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. He allows her to be the one that conceives the promised child. At the time which God had spoken to him. So all the events that take place here have all been orchestrated by God. There's been no delay. There's been no um, forgetfulness by God here. Um, I think it's important, too, to note the word visited. Uh, here in the first verse, the Lord visited Sarah. The Hebrew word, uh, the meaning of that word means a divine intervention in someone's life that shapes or alters their destiny. It's a divine intervention in someone's life that, that shapes or alters their destiny. And this isn't the only time that God visits in this way. Um, this word is used again in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. It says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He says, the Lord is going to visit you again and bring you up out of this place. That God is going to divinely intervene and he's going to radically shape your destiny. And we know that to be true as God calls Moses to be uh, the leader of Israel that leads them out of this captivity. But what we see here, first of all, is that God is always faithful to his word and promises. Um, he, he says things, he promises things. And, and again, Abraham had heard these things. Abraham had heard God speak these things to him. But there was still a level of doubt. Is, uh, is God really going to come through? And we see that level of doubt as we see Abraham kind of come from highs and lows. As he, as he experiences great faith, he expresses great faith. But then there's circumstances that arise that cause him to doubt. And there's some besetting sins that set in again. Um, and so there, there's a questioning here by Abraham. Will God really come through? His faith is growing, but there's still that anticipation. When will God show his answers to his promises? And we finally have it here um, in this chapter. Secondly, God is in no hurry to work out his plans. God is in no hurry to work out his plans. Back in Genesis chapter 21. So he's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises. But he's also demonstrating that he is... He is um, He's in no hurry to work out his, his plans. We're told again that at the time of which God had spoken to him, the emphasis being placed on the appropriate timing. Number three in our notes, God has a set time for doing things. So not only is there, there no hurry on God's part, there is, there is an, an exact uh, laid out plan and an exact laid out timing for when God intends to do these things. He has a set time for doing things. The emphasis being placed on the specific timing. You'll remember back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 21. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. At this time next year, God says. In um, Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So the emphasis being placed on God's perfect timing. So we see God is faithful to his word, his promises. He's in no hurry to work out his plans. He has a set time for doing things. And then lastly in this section, God is not subject to human limitations. God is not subject to human 
limitations. Also in this passage, we see an emphasis placed on Abraham and Sarah, both being the the father and the son of this child. So there's no question again as to whether Abimelech uh, is involved in this. There's no question at all as to uh, who the father of this child is. I mean, it's emphasized over and over and over again in this passage. It says, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight years old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son, Isaac, was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So over and over and time and time again in this text, Abraham's age is emphasized. He's the father. That that point is being emphasized. Uh, Sarah's age is once again emphasized, demonstrating that the birth of this child, everything surrounding it is miraculous. That there's no human capability of these two individuals coming together and having children. It's just not possible. And so God is, is emphasizing the point that he is the one, not limited by human beings, not limited by their deficiencies. He is the one who is carrying out this plan. We said that age of the age of Abraham is stressed three times, verse 2, 5, and 7. I think it's, I think it's important to note, too, that um, there's an extra dose of grace i think that's added to um to this passage here it says that uh sarah was able to nurse children sarah was the one that was able to to uh provide the nutrients and the and the provision for her child um god could have easily i mean god could have easily given her the child you know he could have quickened her body in such a way where she was able to give birth but then not able to nurse her child and that's where you would have brought in a Hagar or somebody else that she would have been passed to. We see this happen with, uh, with Moses. When, when Moses is rescued from the, um, from the river by, by Pharaoh's um, daughter, she, she passes him off and says, I want you to nurse him, I want you to raise him, and then give him back to me and he'll be my son. Um, and so what we have is God adding a little bit of extra dose of grace here. Not only am I going to give you the child, I'm going to let you in your old age, when your body is broken down and deficient in this area, I'm going to quicken everything about you to be able to provide for your child. So, summary sentence. Going back to where we were. The miraculous birth of Isaac is meant to increase our faith in the miraculous birth of Christ, which we're called to respond to with joyous praise and obedience. Let me catch us up here. God is always faithful to his word and promises. God is in no hurry to work out his plans. God is a set time for doing things. He's not subject to human limitations. All right. The implication from all of this is that God's faithful working and man's faithful trusting leads to great joy and obedient response. God's faithful working and man's faithful trusting leads to great joy and obedient response. We see both at play here in this passage. We see God who has been making promise after promise after promise. God who continues to work um, to make this happen. We see man, Abraham, faithfully trusting, faithfully trusting against, against hope, against, against all of the circumstances and all of the evidence that would say this is not possible. He continues to trust, continues to trust. 
And then upon the, the child being given to him, there's great joy and there's a great obedient response to God's gift. There's a, a reference once again here to the laughter of Abraham and Sarah. It says, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. There's this, there's this, there's this joy that's being expressed in Abraham's household that, that Sarah has finally given birth to a child. You'll remember, we've seen some other laughing episodes between these two. Uh, back in Genesis 17, 17, there was kind of a, a hopeful laughter. Uh, Abraham is told that, that it's going to come through Sarah, and, and he kind of he laughs it off. He's not rebuked for it in the same way Sarah is. And so there's a, an, an element of trust and a hope, but still kind of a, are you serious? Like this is really going to happen type of perspective for Abraham. Sarah doesn't really have a hopeful laughter when she's listening in on the conversation with Abraham and the visitors. There's more of a doubting laughter with her in Genesis 18, 13 through 15. A questioning laughter, almost a dismissive laughter that, that, that her, her boat has sailed, that there is no opportunity for her to be included in God's plan any longer. And that's where God cries out to her and says, is there anything too hard for God to accomplish? Those laughters now turn to joyous, unhindered laughter. Uh, Sarah's rejoicing. Abraham's rejoicing. I believe Abraham and Sarah's people are rejoicing. Uh, this has been an anticipation for everybody. Um, Sarah and Abraham would not have kept this to themselves. Remember, their names are changed. So they're communicating to people around them what God is telling them. That they had to communicate their name change. They're communicating what God is promising to them. So it builds anticipation, not just for these two, but for all of God's people that are coming through Abraham and Sarah. There's an anticipation by everybody. And I believe there's a great celebration. We're going to see in verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And so everybody is celebrating uh, the birth of Isaac. Um, everybody is rejoicing over what God has done. And as I said, Abraham is faithful to remember the source of his blessing by acting in obedience. And as I was reading and studying this, it's a, it's a good reminder. Far too often, I think, we're, we're uh, very diligent to pray that God will give us things or do things, sometimes for long periods of time. And oftentimes the return in joyous praise and acknowledgement to him for doing those things doesn't, doesn't match the amount of time spent praying and, and, and desiring those things. And I think Abraham is very quick to respond and say, this child is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And, and there's a quick response in naming him. He doesn't get to choose the name. That would have been a big thing for, for a father to be able to do. I know I took... Uh, a lot of pride in being able to think through with Lauren what the name of our, our son was going to be. That was kind of taken from Abraham. God told them what to name him. And Abraham could have deviated from that. And yet he's reminded of God's promise and reminded that this child is a gift from God. And so he names him Isaac. But then he's also very quick to carry through with the circumcision that was mandated as well. And so uh, Abram's faithful to remember the source of his blessing by acting in obedience. There's some, there's some parallels as well. Uh, to this passage. So it's not just lessons that we learn. Um, there's some parallels that we see in the birth of Isaac. Um, so it's not just two individuals that had a baby and, and, and we get to talk about that this morning. There, there's lessons that we learn from it, obviously. Things that we learn about God, that he keeps his promises, that he's in no hurry to work out his plans. He has a set time for doing everything. 
and that human limitations don't hold him back. But there's some parallels as well from this miraculous birth that I think can encourage us this morning. First of all, obviously, the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus. While this passage is obviously about Isaac, it does point us to the coming birth of Christ. This is another step in that progression. So back in Genesis 3, we get that first hint of a a birth that's coming, right? There's that separation. Uh, Adam and and Eve have separated themselves from God. They trusted the serpent over their creator. Um, As we saw in the video, they... Uh, they trusted in the things of the world versus the one who's provided all those things. And um, God, in all of his grace and mercy, reaches out to them. And rather than communicating death, communicates hope, communicates life, and communicates it to Satan. And Adam and Eve get to listen in on that conversation. And he tells Satan that I'm going to send a seed through Eve that is ultimately going to bring them back to me. That's going to cause division between the serpent and the offspring. And is going to rescue people back to God. And so we get that first hint back in Genesis 3 of a great birth that is to come. Um, And so this birth is another step in that process pointing us in that direction. God saved Noah and his family from the flood. As the nations are are split up and divided, uh, God singles out Abraham and Sarah, calls them out and says, I want to make a great nation out of you, a nation that's going to be a blessing to all other nations. Another hint of the fact that something is going to come through Abraham and Sarah that creates blessing for all peoples. Um, And in order for that to happen, in order for Jesus to come, what God is mandating is that Abraham and Sarah have to have a child. They have to have offspring in order for that to be produced. And so this is another big step in our own salvation. Um, it's a step towards the, 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 the coming Messiah. And so we see some parallels here in the birth of Jesus. Um, and then even a parallel here in the, in the promise of Isaac and the fulfillment of Isaac. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For all the promises of God... Find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So even in this birth of of Isaac, a promise from God that they will have children, even in the joyous expression that they feel towards this own son, there's a, a deeper fulfillment that comes through Christ, through the birth of Jesus, that far supersedes any joy they can feel about Isaac. The birth of Christ, obviously, is the ultimate birth that they need uh, for their salvation. But some parallels that we see between Isaac and Jesus, I think, are important to note. First of all, both Isaac and Christ are viewed as promised seeds. They're both, they're both viewed as promised seeds. In Genesis seventeen sixteen, we know that um, God promises once again that Abraham and Sarah are going to have children and promises that that will be Isaac. And so there's longing and anticipation for this son to be born. We've already referenced Genesis 3.15. That's the promise of, of Jesus to be the promised seed, the one that we long for, the one that we look forward to, that seed of Eve that comes to make all things right. Both Isaac and Christ are viewed as promised seeds. It's also important to note that both had moms who were confused over the possibility of a child. Right? Both were confused as to whether they were capable of having children. We've already taught through Genesis 18:13. That's where Sarah again utters to herself, the visitors over here, how can I have kids? I, I am beyond the age of childbearing. I cannot possibly produce children. 
God responds and says, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for God to do? A similar uh, conversation plays out in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, when Gabriel comes to visit Mary. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Both had moms that were were utterly confused as to how this could be possible. Both point to the fact that this was a miraculous act by God in order for him to receive all the glory. There's, There's no question that Abraham and Sarah were incapable of producing children. God gets the glory. We know from Romans chapter 4, it was set up that way so that God did get the glory. Obviously, in the birth of Christ, Joseph has no role to play beyond simply raising the child. He is completely exonerated from being the father. Um, Mary's a virgin. Mary is not yet married to Joseph, not yet one with Joseph. When the angel comes and tells her that she is going to bear a child. Both had moms who were confused over the possibility of a child. Third, both had their names revealed before birth because of the roles they would play. Both had names revealed before birth because of the roles that they would play. Back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. You'll remember that Isaac's name is given in the midst of the laughing. Um, And and it's a reminder. We said that Isaac's name means laughter. And it's a reminder to Abraham and Sarah of both their their doubts regarding his birth and whether he would ever be born. But then also a reminder over the joyous laughing that they experienced after his birth. And so Isaac's name is given to them as a reminder. A reminder of the struggle to see his birth. The trust and the faith that was necessary to see him come into existence. Christ's name is given in advance as well in Matthew chapter 1. His purpose far more significant than simply being a reminder of the faith needed in God. In in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. Verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Christ's name given in advance as well. Joseph nor Mary was going to have the privilege of being able to name their child what they chose. God had a specific purpose for Jesus. He communicates that through the name, and it's a reminder to them of his overall purpose, that he has come to save his people from their sins. I put a note here in my notes that Isaac is the only patriarch who doesn't undergo a name change. Who do we mean when we talk about the patriarchs? Who, who are grouped into that category typically? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, Abraham experiences a name change. Abram to Abraham. Jacob experiences a name change uh, from one name meaning deceiver to Israel. And, and that name obviously accompanying the rest of God's people. Isaac is one who doesn't undergo a name change because God uh, initially gives him his name. So his divine name is given in advance. Both saw delays regarding the fulfillment of their promise. 
Think about the, the time gap. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's promised Isaac, and it's not until Genesis chapter 21, a span of about 25 years, um, that they have to wait. Jesus' promise obviously comes in Genesis chapter 3, and it spans thousands of years until the New Testament when Gabriel shows and announces the birth of Christ. Both saw great delays regarding the fulfillment of their promise. But, lest we think that God delays without purpose, both were born at appointed times. Both were born at precise times, at appropriate times. Genesis 21-2, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Galatians chapter 4, Christ is born at a precise exact time as well. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So God waits to a specific point in time for a specific purpose when he allows Christ to be born. Both saw delays but both had appointed times for their birth. And then lastly, both saw great rejoicing over their birth. Both saw great rejoicing. Abraham and Sarah are laughing and there's, there's joy over the birth of Christ or the birth of Isaac. But there's equal, if not um, far more rejoicing over the birth of Christ by both his parents and those around. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. There's rejoicing by Mary over the birth of Christ, over the the communication of who Christ is and and what Christ will accomplish. Luke chapter 2 verse 10 And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. There's great rejoicing over the birth of Jesus. It says in verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. There's also a parallel with the new birth of the believer in scripture. I think what we see from Isaac is Uh, Some lessons that can be learned regarding the new birth that we experience as believers. In Romans chapter 4 verse 17. 
a passage that we continue to highlight as we study Abraham's life. It says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But then verse 23, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Paul communicates that what happened in Abraham's life was not just meant for him, it was meant for us. It communicates a lot to us about our own salvation. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 That concept of of death is picked up again by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we, um, or, or note I put in here, one of the main reasons we study Abraham is so we might believe and have the righteousness of God credited to us. Abraham is an example of how that works, and so we study him to learn more about our own salvation. But in regards to the new birth, uh, both require a miracle from God. When we, think, when we think about Isaac's birth and the birth of a believer, both require a miracle. Because secondly, both are humanly impossible because of dead humans involved. When we think about our own nature, our own sin nature, being born from Adam and Eve, born separated from God, incapable of doing anything good, incapable of saving ourselves, Ephesians 2 teaches us that it's God who makes us alive. It's, it's through the Holy Spirit that we are quickened and made alive to see the goodness of Christ, to see the, the wretchedness of our sin, to see our need for a Savior. And so when we talk about the new birth, Jesus having that conversation with Nicodemus, he talks about the fact that it's the Spirit who has to blow. It's the Spirit who has to work to make that possible. Both allow God to receive the glory for the birth. God... God constructs the whole situation with Abraham and Sarah so that God gets the glory. Two dead human beings, from a reproductive standpoint, cannot produce children, and Isaac is born. God gets the glory. Dead, sinful human beings who are separated from God, enemies of God, who can't possibly give glory to God, are quickened and made alive through the Holy Spirit. 
and are reborn. So the birth of Isaac this morning points us to the birth of, uh, to the birth of Jesus, but it also points us to our own birth. We can celebrate the fact that thousands of years ago, God quickened two dead individuals that were incapable of producing life, and he caused them to produce life. And it gives us assurance in the New Testament that God can look at dead individuals who are incapable of producing life, incapable of producing obedience, and God can quicken us alive as well. God can, through the Holy Spirit, bring us to life, as Ephesians 2 talks about, which also gives us assurance for people in our life. And we talked about them last week. We, we, we talked about people that we're sharing the gospel with, that, that we wanted to pray about, that God would, would make them alive. That God would use the words that we speak as, as life-giving words and God would quicken them and, and bring them to salvation. And we all have people in our life that, that we wonder, is God ever going to save them? Can God save them? Will God save them? And the birth of Isaac, I think, also is a reminder, nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's impossible for God. If he can take two individuals that are incapable of producing life and bring life into play, he too can take dead individuals that are rebellious and hardened against him and can bring them to life as well through the Holy Spirit. Um, two passages that I want to read before we get into some application questions. Uh, back in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Zechariah is responding to the prophecy and the announcement of both Jesus' birth and John the Baptist's birth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 67, it says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show them mercy uh, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. It's interesting to see that Zechariah takes the promises that were made to Abraham and sees their fulfillment, sees their culmination in the birth of Jesus Christ. He says, God made promises to Abraham, and we're seeing the fulfillment of those promises through the announcement of Christ's birth. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. 
So Abraham and Sarah stand there that day or evening whenever Isaac was born and they rejoice over their offspring. They rejoice over the birth of their son that was promised. But what we see in the New Testament is the New Testament writers look back into that and see far greater fulfillment. (coughs) They see far greater fulfillment in the birth of Jesus Christ. (coughs) And that reminds us of that this morning. As we talk about the birth of Isaac, because we're studying through Genesis and we we celebrate that for Adam and or for Abraham and, and Sarah, it has great meaning for us today too. Because we are the offspring of Abraham, according to Galatians. And so we rejoice over the birth of Isaac because it's a step in that redemptive history process. Jesus comes and is born. We celebrate that obviously far greater. And then it points us to the return of Jesus, the thing that we wait for today. Abraham and Isaac waited 25 years for for the birth of Isaac. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac. They waited thousands of years for the birth of Jesus. And now there's been another thousands of years being waited for Jesus to return. And so we find ourselves in that part of redemptive history. But there's two questions I want us to focus on that come out of this. (coughs) First of all, have we judged God to be one who is faithful to his promises? We've seen Abraham and Sarah have to labor in their faith. To believe God. But what we find in the New Testament. Is a celebration of their faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 11. 11, It says by faith Sarah. Herself received power. To conceive. Even when she was past the age. (coughs) Since she considered him faithful. Who had promised. Some translations say. Since she judged him faithful. Who had promised. What that means is, is that Sarah took, took all the facts, took all the evidence, took all the promises and said, yes, I believe God is faithful. I'm judging him to be faithful to the promises that he's made. And she's and she celebrated for that in Hebrews. She judged God to be one who is faithful to his promises. <clears throat> now, we talked a couple of weeks ago. Do we doubt that God is is able to do anything? Is there anything that we would doubt God's ability to do? And, and we talked about some of those things, and we confessed some of those things. But then one thing we also talked about, it's, it's not sometimes that we doubt that God is able to do it. We just simply doubt if God will do it. We haven't been given specific promises. So it's not so much can he, but will he? But I think the important thing for us to emphasize in studying Abraham and Sarah, is that God is capable of keeping his promises and we judge him accordingly. In the same way that Sarah and Abraham judged him to be faithful to his promises, we too have a responsibility to judge him, to determine, to consider God faithful based on everything we see in Scripture. And we obviously have the advantage of the New Testament. We've seen far more history of God making promises and keeping promises. Secondly, are we striving To inherit the promises of God with faithful patience. In Hebrews 6 as well. It talks about the fact that. There's a a patience that's needed as we endure. The promises of God. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish. But imitators of those who through faith and patience. Inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, 
obtain the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Oftentimes, God builds our patience by giving us promises and then sending us trials and then telling us to trust in him. Abraham was made promises in Genesis 12, and then he saw trials come, he saw difficulties come, he, came, he saw circumstances come that, that would dictate otherwise about the promises of God. But through that endurance, through, that, through those trials, his faith increased, the Bible tells us, and he was awarded these promises. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Tyson mentioned it in his prayer this morning that we obviously, as, as New Testament believers, we look back to the birth of Christ. So we weren't a part of redemptive history where we were looking towards the Messiah's birth. We instead are on the other side of his birth. And we look forward to and long for the return of Christ. When he comes, not as a baby, but comes as a king in all of his glory. And so all through the New Testament, what we're seeing here is that we have a responsibility to judge God to be one who's faithful to his promises and to trust him. Even though there's a delay, even though there's a waiting uh, process, we, we trust that he's going to fulfill the promises that we're clinging to, that we're hoping for. And we've talked about some of these promises, not just using the word promise uh, vaguely or or anything, we, we've talked about some specific promises that God gives to us, promises of forgiveness of our sins, promises of favor, promises of a future, things that we, we experience to some degree now, but obviously we experience in a greater fulfillment in the future, that we strive to inherit those promises with faithful patience. And I believe that Abraham and Sarah stand as a great example to us in Scripture of ones that had to wait and wait and wait but their faith doesn't waver, Scripture tells us, and they're finally given that initial promise of Isaac. But as we've seen, Isaac points us to greater fulfillment, fulfillment that they were still waiting for when they died, the book of Hebrews says, that they didn't inherit the full promises yet, um, and they were waiting for that birth of Christ. And so we get to celebrate that in the New Testament. Um, I, I, I felt like I, I was very encouraged yesterday um, looking back at the the birth of Isaac, because the birth of Christ comes under such scrutiny from, from critics. Um, and, and I was encouraged to see how God takes human beings that are oftentimes uh, very quick to doubt and to look back and see how God builds the faith of his people through miraculous birth after miraculous birth so that when that ultimate miraculous birth comes in, in the form of Jesus Christ, that he's built a case for why he should be trusted. Um, he's built a case for why we can believe in the birth of Christ. And I think um, looking back at that, it gives us confidence again for the new birth of the believer. But then it also gives us that hope, that confidence um, that Christ is coming back for us.
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you uh, for just the opportunity to look back and to, to see your faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah and how you um, orchestrated all these events uh, to bring about the birth of Isaac. But Father, we, we, we look back and we see a birth of a, of a mere human and we see a fulfillment of that promise through him, but, but we also know that he points to a far greater fulfillment. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you for the birth of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that ultimate fulfillment of the promises that you made to Abraham, that you were going to send a seed through him that would ultimately be a blessing to all nations. Father, we rejoice over the fact today that as we sit here in, in our city of Sonoy, rejoicing over the birth of Christ, that there are people all over the earth from all nations that rejoice over the same Jesus. We know that's a fulfillment of your promises to produce offspring of Abraham that would come from everywhere. Father, we're thankful that your power is not limited by our human limitations. That you're a God who can quicken dead wombs and bring about life. That you're a God who can quicken virgin wombs and bring about life. But Father, you're also a God who can who can quicken dead hearts and bring about spiritual life. And Father, I'm thankful for the individuals that are represented here this morning that are true offspring of Abraham, that are children of faith, that have responded to your promises by believing you are who you say you are and you are going to do what you say you're going to do. Father, we know that we are individuals that have to grow in our faith. And so, Father, we thank you for trials and difficulties that you bring our way that are designed to increase our trust in the promises that you've made to us. Father, I pray that you would increase our trust. Help uh, in the midst of this Christmas season that others in our life would look to us and see our unwavering faith and trust in you. Help them to see that we are individuals like Sarah who judged you to be faithful to your promises. And through that faith, you allowed her to conceive and bear Isaac. God, I pray that people in our life would see us to be ones who have judged you to be faithful and true to your promises. And they would see evidence of our life that you are active and working and moving. And that that testimony would draw others to your kingdom. We praise you and thank you for the intentional steps that you take to include stories in scripture, true stories in scripture that are meant to increase our faith and trust in you. I pray that as New Testament believers, we would not squander the privileges and the opportunities and the, uh, the great responsibility that we have with the increased revelation that we have in the New Testament. We, we see a much bigger picture than Abraham and Sarah were given. So God, I pray that our faith would, uh, would match the amount of revelation that you've given to us that our faith would be great in you. Do we continue to increase our faith and trust as we wait upon the ultimate fulfillment of so many of your promises when Jesus Christ comes back? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.